Welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Bilton. We're going to do one of our little breaking news things. <laughs> Abby Tracy, how was my breaking news thing? It, it was good? It was okay. Yeah. It's okay. I got to work yeah. on it. I think, it, you, you know, everyone can practice at everything, you know? Yes. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. We've only done a couple of breaking news duts, uh, whatever you call them. Uh, but this is a big one. Finally, after two years, the report is here. This is where we do the sound effects, which I don't have, and all those <laughs> things. So I'm very, very excited and really grateful that Abby Tracy, who is our Vanity Fair expert on all things Mueller, uh, is here to explain the report because I don't understand it, quite honestly, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't. So let's just jump right in and talk about it. So it just came out. Um, you've read it. Uh, can you explain kind of what it means? And then we'll get into like the nitty gritty of it. Yeah, I, I guess what, you know, not that much has changed sort of at a high level since uh, Barr initially released his principal conclusions memo. So obviously, there are still no more indictments coming. Nobody involved in the Trump campaign was charged with a criminal conspiracy to defraud the United States. And obviously, he didn't, or Mueller didn't conclude that uh, Trump obstructed justice in any way. Though he also specifically did say, you know, it doesn't exonerate him on that front. So not all that much has changed from a high level, but obviously reading the report and sort of seeing these anecdotes and these episodes that Mueller lays out, it paints a much different and more damaging picture of the president than Barr's, you know, short memo would initially, you know, painted, I guess, is one way to think about it. Well, so the thing that's confusing is when you look at the, you know, the report came out and Trump's out there walking around like he just won the lottery. He's got these this Cheshire cat grin on his face, which he rarely even has these days. It, is he just kind of playing the role of like, oh, it's not a big deal. Look, look, it was all bullshit, and the the libs were coming after me, and and the report shows that I did nothing wrong. Or is he is it is he just being Trump and and telling the version of the story he wants everyone to believe? Well, for starters, I would put so much money on the fact that Donald Trump has not read the report at all. So he really doesn't know what's in it and is relying on people around him to sort of say how good he came off in it. Um, but I do think, you know, a lot of what we're seeing from Trump, a lot of this posturing from him and his allies and his advisors is really sort of this kind of, you know, sort of to the fake it till you make it type thing in that there are Trump's base will believe what Trump says regardless of facts regardless of you know anybody else or what other people are saying Trump's base will believe what Trump says so obviously if he's walking around saying hey everybody this is great for me there is certainly a, a portion of the population that is going to believe that um, no questions asked but I also think you know when you really read the report he does not come across well at all, nor does his campaign, nor do others in his administration. And it is damaging. It is certainly, you know, everything that Mueller laid, laid out is kind of a black mark for the Trump presidency, I think. All right. So I want to get into what the actual report says and have you kind of explain it to us and everything. But before we do that, can you kind of explain 
what it means with the obstruction charges that they could have brought and what exoneration means, what all these terms mean, not just in a in the respect of a legal case, but in the respect of this specific legal case with Donald Trump. Yeah, definitely. So so when we're talking about obstruction of justice, um, one of the key things that Mueller would have had to determine to say, hey, yes, Donald Trump obstructed justice was whether the president was acting with corrupt intent. And it's really hard in general to prove corrupt intent because it's hard to get into somebody's mind and really understand what they're trying to do or what goal they're seeking. And I think, you know, with somebody like Donald Trump as president, the other issue that Mueller is dealing with is that a lot of his actions that he took, so for instance, firing James Comey is sort of the best example of this, fall under his executive authority. So as president, he has every right to fire the FBI director. So there's always been that conflict, right, that so many of these actions that he's taken that some have argued could constitute obstruction of justice also fall under his authority as president. So when you're dealing with so that... So it's, it's difficult to determine which... So it's, it's, it's almost impossible unless he says that he specifically obstructed justice. It's almost impossible for Mueller to be able to, to say, oh, he fired uh, Comey to obstruct justice because he can say, oh, well, I fired him because I don't like the way his hair looks or something like that. Right. And, and I think when we're looking back, obviously, sort of the most corollary, like the best kind of corollary example of this would be looking back at Nixon and Watergate. So obstruction of justice was also in the impeachment proceedings against Richard Nixon. But Richard Nixon took a series of, or he made a series of decisions that were very obviously on their face obstructing justice, whether it was, you know, trying to get his aides to destroy evidence or take bribes or things of that nature. Whereas when we're looking at the kind of actions that Trump took, it it butts up against this issue of executive authority in a way that we didn't necessarily see with Nixon, whereas Nixon was really just, you know, being a criminal in like the true sense of the word. So that's kind of where that conflict is. But what Mueller, Mueller didn't actually reach a conclusion on this in his, um, in his report. What he did is he basically laid out all these examples of Trump potentially obstructing justice. And then you had Bill Barr, the Trump appointed attorney general and Rod Rosenstein come out and say, nope, like it doesn't, rise to the level of obstructing justice. So they really kind of took that decision from Mueller and made it themselves. So what are some of the things that, um, I have so many questions here, I don't know where to begin, <laughs> but what are some of the things we that, well, well, before, actually, before we get to some of the things in the report, I guess the, the question I have is, two questions is, one is, why didn't Mueller, there's, you know, there's 10 instances where it's, where Mueller says that, uh, that Trump possibly obstructed justice. Um, that's a big number. Um, first of all, wh- why didn't Mueller decide to charge him with it? Was it just that there was not enough? Or is the is what the next step that somebody like SDNY, which could do a state-level um, charges against Trump or anyone, anyone in the report, is that they could then use the report as their own roadmap to go and find ways to charge Trump or Trump Jr. or somebody? Well, so so certainly one thing that did happen was that, you know, we do know from the report that 14 investigations were were handed off to different uh, to different offices. So certainly that is happening. And there could be other charges that initially stemmed from the Mueller investigation against individuals sort of in Trump's orbit, as we saw with folks like Michael Cohen and some of these other referrals that we've seen. But 
the other major issue when we're talking about obstruction of justice and Mueller, so as I laid out, you know, there is this question of his executive authority and whether these actions that he took fell under his executive authority as president, but you also have the long-standing DOJ guidelines saying you cannot indict a sitting president. So that's also in the mix here, right? So do you sort of saying that we can't charge Donald Trump with a crime because he is currently president of the United States to following um, DOJ guidelines. But the thing is, is a lot of people in this um, kind of, there has obviously been an ongoing legal debate about obstructing justice and sort of what that might look like and if you could indict Donald Trump for, you know, that or other crimes. And I think the ultimate authority or sort of the overarching conclusion people have reached is, you know, that's a question for Congress. So I think right now, given given that Barr came out and said, no, we're not prosecuting on obstruction of justice after Mueller declined, that question, the only people left, I guess, to try to answer that question are members of Congress. So, so the House, you know, uh, came out today and said that they are going to um, subpoena Mueller to testify before Congress. Is there a pathway where they can, uh, well, first of all, can they ask Mueller to talk about the parts of the report that are redacted, which are, well, there's a lot of parts of the report that are redacted, um, and can can this lead to anything other than us finding out what Mueller really thinks and what he went through in his investigation? Yeah, so so one of the things that uh, Barr actually mentioned in his pre- press conference today is that he is providing a report to some members of Congress, a bipartisan group of uh, lawmakers, he said, that include just the grand jury redactions. So those are the 6E material grand jury um So what they got from individuals who testified in front of Mueller's grand jury. But so what that means is that this group of lawmakers will be able to see a less redacted version of the Mueller report. So that wouldn't include sort of the blacking out of individuals who are sort of third party peripheral characters, um, you know, operating under the DOJ policy, like you don't disparage individuals that aren't charged with a crime. So they would be able to see all those names and all those instances. And then they would also see the underlying intelligence community, the material that the intelligence community deemed dangerous to release publicly. So that could be sourcing methods, but it could also be, you know, just other Um, other things related to how they collect intelligence or intelligence operations, and then also um, anything related to ongoing investigations. So it's very clear when you actually read through the report, you can tell that there's a lot blacked out related to Roger Stone and his actions, because obviously the Roger Stone uh, case is still ongoing right now. And then obviously you also have that with the IRA um, so the Internet Research Agency, that case is also ongoing, and a lot of that is blocked out. But so the lawmakers that will get this version, you know, the less redacted version of the report, they'd be able to at least see more. Um, but what they would have to get is a judge approval to get the 6E information, so the grand jury testimony and all that stuff. And then to your other point, sort of, you know, if Mueller appears – before Congress, like, what are lawmakers really going to get from him? I think lawmakers, based on their tweets, the statements that they've issued, and also some of the questions that we saw asked of Barr after his press conference, there'll be a lot of questions about Mueller's interactions with Barr and why, 
you know, Mueller didn't reach a determination on Trump obstructing justice and, and things of that nature. I think it'll be really interesting to kind of hear what he has to say if that is in a public forum on, on some of those things. Well, I think, you know, what's so fascinating is you, you, there's a, a, a line in the in the report where, where Mueller says, if we had confidence after a thorough investigation of the facts that the president clearly did not commit obstruction of justice, we would so state, but based on the facts and the applicable legal standards, however, we are unable to reach that judgment. So he's essentially saying he did not do it, but he didn't do it, or he, even if he did do it, we can't charge him with it. Yeah, it was really interesting because during the press conference, Barr dismissed the idea that that OLC opinion, so, you know, the Justice Department guidelines saying you can't indict a sitting president, um, Barr totally dismissed that that had any role in Mueller's decision not to, you know, say the president obstructed justice. But it's very clear when you read the report that, yeah, it did, or at least it appears to. So I'm certain that lawmakers are going to ask about that and ask about, hey, like, are you just like, did you not decide that he obstructed justice just because, you know, this OLC memo that says you can't indict a sitting president? I think that'll certainly be, you know, a huge line of questioning going forward. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. All right, Inside the Hive listeners, if you are not a Vanity Fair subscriber, we have a special, 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 special offer for you this week. Inside the Hive listeners, just visit vf.com slash Inside the Hive to sign up and never miss a story on Trump, the PP tapes, and lots of other really, really important things. You can go to, once again, vf.com slash Inside the Hive. Once you're there, you will have the opportunity to save like you wouldn't believe for $15. That's right. One five. That is probably the cost of a cup of coffee in LA or Manhattan or somewhere like that. You'll get 12 print issues. You'll get a tote bag, a beautiful black and white tote bag, which says Vanity Fair on the side. You'll get access to all these podcasts, all these videos, all of the articles that we write online in the magazine and everything. Once again, vf.com slash inside the hive. It's a limited offer. Go do it right now. Thanks. Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. All right, so let's talk about some of the nitty-gritty stuff in the report. What are some of the things that you have seen uh, and that people have seen that they're talking about that uh, that are kind of just damning and shocking? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Nick, I there's so much. like, where do you so begin? Um, so there, there is just so much. Because I think like one of the interesting things to think about is what would have happened had we not, like, like, what would the reaction have been, right, if this report just dropped? There hadn't been any news coverage. None of these instances or episodes had been previously reported. And just, like, suddenly Mueller's like, hey, here's everything I found. I think if people read through this report, they would view it as so much more damaging well, to I think, the president yeah, than, like, how we've kind of— Yeah, we've been normalized. Yeah, it's been normal. It's not only been normalized, but it's also—it's almost like— um, uh, reading, someone hands you a book, and right before they hand you the book, 
they're like, oh, this is uh, this is totally a terrible book. This is, this is garbage in it. Don't even waste your time. Like you're, and then they hand you the book, and you're like, oh, I have an opinion on this already. I mean, it's like it's it's a very there's, there's the bar part of it, but the other part that I have always that is so shocking to me is that you have all of these individuals in Trump's immediate orbit who are in jail right now or going to jail right now as a result of this investigation and Trump touts it as a win and the Republicans tout right. it as a win. It's, it's, it's almost like what Mueller, I think, was doing was that he was like, okay, we're going to put this report out as it happens in case they yeah. get fired, said these people. Right. But I think it kind of, the Democrats, I think, were so focused on it leading to impeachment that the whole thing kind of backfired on them. Right. Like sort of, you know, say, you know, say if the events of today had gone, okay, Mueller drops this report and then he goes out and he arrests Mike Flynn, he arrests Paul Manafort, he arrests George Papadopoulos, Rick Gates. Can you imagine if that all happened at once? And it would be completely scandalous and crazy. It would but be Nixon. Thing, yeah, it would 100% be Nixon. And right now, though, you know, over the last two years, we've gotten drips and drabs of these various things, right? So it's like, you know, there was a little bit of reporting around the Trump Tower meeting. Oh, there's reporting about, you know, Trump's efforts to fire Mueller, you know, Trump's bullying of Jeff, Jeff Sessions. It's like, these are all things that over time we've kind of heard a little bit about. So reading it today, you're sadly like a little numb to it and it's less mind-blowing than I think it should be so I like to like imagine a world wherein like everything happened just today and it's crazy what we've learned is absolutely crazy and you know there are a lot of questions to ask about this president and whether he should be in office well you know how I feel about that (laughs) (laughs) I, I do I do Nick I do know all right. So uh, there was a there's a part in the report, uh, volume two, page four, where Mueller says that Trump, uh, once Mueller was appointed, um, uh, um, Trump said that this was the end of my presidency. Did he believe that that he was going to be uh, impeached or something like that, or what was what was what was all that about? Yeah. So so the way it's kind of described in the report is Trump, you know, Mueller gets appointed and Trump says something along the lines of, oh, like people have warned me about special counsels and independent counsels and that this is the end of my presidency. And now that Mueller's been appointed, I won't be able to get anything done. And I definitely think he believed that. I think his behavior that is outlined in the report suggests 100% that he believed that Mueller's appointment was going to be the end of his presidency. And I think that's why you saw him lash out at Jeff Sessions and you saw him try to get Don McGahn to fire Robert Mueller. You saw him to try to get Corey Lewandowski and Rick Dearborn to put pressure on Sessions to, you know, sort of dismiss the investigation and... It is every single thing that Trump did after the appointment of Mueller 100% suggests how great of a threat he viewed the special counsel. And he uh, he tried numerous times to, to, to have him fired, right? It wasn't just, you know, it was, it was one after another after another. Um, how did he not pull it off? Well, it, it, it's actually really funny because... Uh, There is a line in the report that basically says that Trump wasn't able to obstruct justice because his advisors and aides just wouldn't carry out his orders. So you repeatedly had Donald Trump trying to get 
uh, his subordinates to fire Robert Mueller or get rid of Robert Mueller or bring an end to the investigation in some way, shape, or form, or at least like impede the investigation. And it, he was unsuccessful just because the people around him, I guess, were smarter or, you know, had a better sense as to, hey, hey, how about we don't have our own Saturday Night Massacre? How about that, President Trump? So it's funny, like, <laughs> Mueller, Mueller, like, lays out the fact that Trump would have been more effective at obstructing the investigation had the people around him actually listened to him in his capacity and, as their boss. <laughs> and another thing the report talks about is that there are all these people in his orbit that don't trust him, Katie... Uh, McFarlane, the deputy national security advisor, um, didn't trust him. There's just a, a long, long list of people. Are they are they aware that he's completely full of shit, or is it are they trying to protect the country? I, I mean, what what's going on with these people? Yeah, I, I think it's hard for me to sort of speak to their motivations because I think that has been a, a question hanging over the Trump administration for a very long time. Just sort of, you know, I think back a lot to the the anonymous New York Times op-ed, right, where it describes sort of this this cabal of Trump officials who are, you know, trying to save the country and trying to prevent him from doing something just so damaging to the country. And it's sort of like okay, is is that what you're doing? Are you being patriotic and kind of trying to prevent ultimate chaos? Though, you know, I think many would argue that it seems pretty chaotic right now. Or what are you trying to achieve? Are you trying to achieve a Republican agenda? It, it is an ongoing question, and I think this report really did lay out the fact that, you know, the people surrounding Donald Trump do not think that highly of him. Oh well, I can't imagine anyone. I mean, <laughs> even even if his kids, even his kids don't think that highly of him. I mean, right. it's, you know, if you read our colleague's book. Um, okay, so what else was it that, that that really kind of stood out to you in the report that was uh, that made your mouth drop open in shock? Well, I I think one really important thing to circle back on is this debate over collusion, right? So, what Mueller's report actually says is that they didn't establish that there was conspiracy or coordination between the Trump campaign and the Russians to interfere in the election. But really, like, the underlying takeaway that you get from the report is that Mueller found that individuals on the Trump campaign weren't involved in these underlying crimes, right? So the hacking crimes or, you know, the IRA. So they weren't involved in, for instance, like the GRU or the IRA indictment the crimes that are outlined in those indictments. But the thing is, is like collusion, in my mind, is a very separate thing. I think, you know, one lawyer described it to me as collusion doesn't necessarily have to be criminal. And one of the things that the Mueller report says is that he, <laughs> that the Trump campaign and Trump campaign officials expected to benefit from the Russian hacking activities. So they were certainly happy about all of this. They were happy that our election was interfered with, and they were happy with the hacking of Hillary Clinton's emails, well, and they knew it was good isn't for there, them. Isn't there a part in the report, I may get the numbers wrong here, but where uh, it says that five hours after Trump had given the press conference that, saying, Russia, if you're listening... Uh, go hack Hillary's emails that her emails were hacked. Is that right? Yes, yes, yes. That is so, in so there. I, that, that I don't understand. That to me seems like it's breaking some some pretty clear laws in the Constitution about, 
foreign agents and all these other things. I, I just, I, I, I'm so shocked. I can't believe that that is not term. I mean, a, a reason to impeach someone. I just, or anything. I mean, am I missing something? Yeah. I mean, I think the argument there is, you know, this was a statement made at a Trump campaign rally. You know, he just said it sort of, Russia, if you're listening, hey, please find Hillary Clinton's, you know, 30,000 emails. And then the Russians just happened, as you said, five hours later, for the first time after hours, as Robert Mueller has noted, um, the Russians for the first time went after personal accounts of the Clinton campaign. So yeah, they responded. They responded to his request. And the other part of this is like, is there was another orchestrated effort by members of the Trump campaign, so Mike Flynn in particular, to try to find these 30,000 emails. Donald Trump really wanted to get his hands on Clinton's emails that were stolen. So, but the thing is, is there were all these attempts to do things that proved to be unsuccessful. So they didn't necessarily rise to the level of criminal activity because they failed. And okay, but if I if I say to you, if I go on if I, if I say on this podcast, "Hey, any of my neighbors listening, please go and kill this person." And then all of a sudden one of my neighbors attempts to murder that person, and it would I would go to jail. Like literally, like it's like how is it that be, how is it that they can not people don't find this astoundingly illegal when he is clearly trying to benefit from something that is happening uh, that goes and and also not just illegal. How is it that his supporters and other Republicans are not kind of baffled and shocked by just that one little part of the report? Yeah, I mean, I think when you're looking at that, what it comes down to is a full awareness that the crime is going to be committed, and you can argue that Trump didn't have that. He didn't necessarily know that his statements would inspire this attack, even if they did, I think is sort of the argument there. But I, I you raise a good Sorry. question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, you know, more people aren't up in arms about it because it is a problem and it is a concerning thing that, you know, Mike Flynn was off trying to find these emails on this like little side effort at the, you know, pressure from the president of the United States. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I think that's that's really um, that's that's kind of wild is that there's a part in the report where it says, you know, to find evidence of coordination, both Russia and tr- the Trump campaign would have had to agree to act together, and that you know, <clears throat> legalese or whatever it is, uh, probably protected him, right? Yeah. So, so one of the takeaways I've had from that I have from conversations I've had with lawyers over the years is, you know, proving conspiracy is difficult. Like it is a difficult legal bar to clear. And that's really what we're seeing right now. You know, it comes down to this idea of coordination and sort of awareness on both sides and sort of a deal, you know, between the Russians and the Trump campaign. But I guess, you know, when we take a step back and we think about it, that's where Congress should step in, you know. Uh, If it doesn't rise to criminal activity or criminal conspiracy, I, I think the question does fall to Congress to say, okay, you know, maybe this isn't something that the Justice Department is going to prosecute or that courts are going to, you know, bring a case on, but is this person fit to be president of the United States? And I think that's the question that Congress um, is grappling with now. And 
do you think that so there's right now um, it says that there are 14 uh, spin-off investigations do we know anything about those are they do, do we know who they're tied to or where they are being uh, uh, set up from like is it is it all SDNY is it other you know parts of the DOJ who is it and and what is it yeah, so, so there's there's a couple different offices involved, but I think when we're really thinking about investigations that we know about that could be the most damaging to the president, you have the Michael Cohen one with the campaign finance, you have all these questions circling around uh, the inaugural committee, which is really interesting, you have you know the investigations, whether it's by the New York Attorney General into Donald Trump's uh, businesses, I think those are the ones that really pose the greatest threat to Donald Trump, and they, you know, when we're looking looking at what, when we're looking at what Mueller was tasked with, right, trying to prove if there was conspiracy between the Russians and the Trump campaign or obstructing justice, those are both difficult crimes to prove. But when you take a step back and you look at, you know, what Michael Cohen is going down for, those are crimes that Trump very well is could be vulnerable on as well and are much easier cases to prove in court than, you know, this massive conspiracy um, between uh, Russian officials and a presidential campaign or, you know, obstructing justice as the president of the United States. So the thing is, is yes, the Mueller, the Mueller investigation is over, but Donald Trump's legal headaches are not. One of the things I found really fascinating from looking at the report, and you've obviously looked at it in a lot more in depth than I have, is that the number of lies, um, and not just from Trump, which is, of course, obvious. He's probably the biggest liar that's ever stepped foot in the United States. Um, <laughs> but, he, I mean, literally, there's not a word that comes out of the guy's mouth that is actually truthful. Uh, but the fact that you've got Sarah Sanders lying, you've got Trump telling his White House counsel to lie, you've, uh, you've got, I mean, from... All over the place. I mean, Sarah Sanders, when she said um, uh, that when Comey had been fired, she said that they publicly stood up there and said um, that that they had been informed by lots of FBI agents how happy they were that, that Comey was gone. And then she went and told the special counsel during uh, her testimony that she made that up. Um, right. It's. It seems like, a, am I being um, naive in thinking that uh, other presidents didn't lie like this and other White Houses didn't lie like this? Or uh, or is this actually, am I correct in thinking that? Oh, I, I think you're correct in thinking that this administration um, lies a lot more than others. And, and, you know, pointing out the Sarah Sanders lie, it that really seemed like a completely worthless lie to make. It, it just, it was so unnecessary. And I think that's the thing is like so many of these lies are unnecessary. And I think covering this White House for reporters has been really difficult because of that, right? You can't really, you know, it's hard to know what the truth is versus what a lie is. Or also, you know, this other idea too of Donald Trump being Donald Trump, you know, one day he might say something as the policy and the next day he does a complete 180 and says something totally different. So I think at times, you know, certainly, certainly individuals in his uh, in his administration have told lies. You know, you brought up the Sarah Sanders one. You know, you also have all these other examples of individuals in his orbit lying to the FBI, which is a whole nother thing that is laid out in the report. But there is also this ongoing problem with Trump in that People don't even know if they're telling the truth because they 
don't know what policies are or what is really going on because the president is Donald Trump. Because the president is Donald Trump. That that's that still gives me heart palpitations when I hear those words. <laughs> uh, um, all right, let's talk a little bit about. I actually kind of want to have a little laugh about the uh, the compromising tapes that Trump thought existed, but they didn't exist. Tell us a little bit about that. Um, yeah, you know what? Let's have you tell that one, Nick, because I feel like this is something that you'll have so this much fun with. Yeah, yeah. This is it's something so I can see is right up your alley. This is right up my alley because I've written <laughs> stories about the Trump tapes and everything. So Trump believed that there were compromising tapes of the president uh, with uh, when he was in Moscow for a 2013 trip for the Miss Universe pageant. Apparently, as we all remember from the Fusion GPS report that came out, uh, there were apparently tapes of Donald Trump uh, being urinated on. Is that correct? Do I have that right? Uh, yeah. Um, and... Um, <laughs> <laughs> or urinating happening near him. Some uh, kind of like you know, P-tape. The P-tape. <clears throat> People the P-tape, know the P-tape. The P-P tapes. Uh, sorry, I couldn't use the word urinating. I have to say pee-pee. Uh, <laughs> and that uh, that he had uh, Michael Cohen, uh, his fixer, uh, reach out to uh, Russians. I can't actually pronounce the guy's name, so I won't even try because I'll mess it up. George, George something or other. Nailed it. Anyway, thank you. So... They thought that they were willing to pay for these tapes, and the tapes didn't actually exist, or at least they don't think that they exist. But to me, that is so astounding that that the tapes didn't exist, and yet Trump is willing to pay for them because they could have existed. Yeah. I mean, it's just – imagine if that's – it's, it's – <laughs> Imagine, I knew if you you're, didn't have fun imagine with this one. If, <laughs> no, I know. It's like imagine if like someone said to you – Hey, there's there's uh, tapes of you um, you and a couple of prostitutes and uh, some pee pee, um, and you're like, oh my god, I should I should pay to have those destroyed. Like it's no one I know on earth <laughs> would, would respond that way. Real, they'd be like, yeah. yeah, they'd be like, oh, okay, well, someone did a deep fake, some CGI, and uh, I can't wait to see that. It's like boggles my mind these people anyway uh yeah. let's i mean move it on. speaks to character too you it know it does speak to character yeah yes. like the concerns that he has that all this damaging he, he's a incredibly paranoid individual and the reason is because he does have you know skeletons in his closet and i'm not necessarily saying you know that that episode is true because i don't know one way or the other but we do know obviously the access hollywood tape showed us that there is evidence of him being a scumbag out there. And I think, you know, one would worry if, if they were in that position about that. But I think the thing that's so interesting is is it doesn't matter. Like, if the PP tapes came out, it's the same number of people are, are going to vote for him no matter what. And it's 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 almost like, I, I don't, it's like, what what's, why would he even care? It's, it's. He doesn't, I don't know. The whole thing is just ludicrous and ridiculous. <laughs> All right, let's move on to another one before I break my microphone. Uh, um, so what's the story with WikiLeaks? Because um, we know that Donnie Jr., my second least favorite person, uh, was involved with WikiLeaks in some way or another. Uh, we know that Trump tweeted about WikiLeaks several times. And though last week he said, oh, I don't know what WikiLeaks, never, never heard of it. Um, how does WikiLeaks play into the report and, and what was it that Mueller was able to find about them and the relationship between the Trump campaign? 
Yeah, so uh, Mueller lays out a lot of interactions between members of the Trump campaign, Don Jr. among them, uh, Roger Stone as well, between you know them and WikiLeaks. And this kind of goes back to the point I was making earlier, sort of this, you know, nailing individuals involved in the Trump campaign on actually being involved in a crime. So what you saw with WikiLeaks, and, and for those who need a refresher, so WikiLeaks was the organization that disseminated all of the hacked emails. Um, and then there was also DC Leaks and Gussifer, or 2.0. But so they were involved in disseminating the hacked emails, but they weren't, Mueller didn't find, and so you had individuals in the Trump campaign, sorry, to back up. So you had individuals in the Trump campaign interacting with WikiLeaks about, you know, releases of the hacked emails, when dumps might be coming, and having these communications with WikiLeaks about the damaging Hillary Clinton emails. But the thing is that they weren't, while they might have been involved in the dissemination of the hacked emails, they weren't involved, according to Mueller's findings, in the actual hacking of the email. So they weren't involved in the underlying crime. And then when you're looking at what they were involved in, legally they're in the clear is is the argument. And you kind of saw Barr talk about that in his press conference too. Sort of this idea of applicable laws and the dissemination. And he was really just defending the individuals knowing that <laughs> there'd be a pretty damaging portrait painted of all these individuals that were working with WikiLeaks and knowingly trying to get information on WikiLeaks dumps because they knew it would be to the benefit of Trump and, you know, hurt Hillary Clinton. All right, so let's kind of bring this all back together and wrap this up with a few neat bows. How does this play out now? Does the, you know, everyone's going to, everyone's combing through the reports. We're going to get these things. The news cycle will be about this for a couple of days. And then what happens? You know, it, it's it's a good question. Again, sort of as I as I opened, you know, not that much has changed. You know, Donald Trump hasn't been charged or charged with a crime. Members of his campaign, or, or any new members of his campaign, I should say, haven't been charged with crimes. And really, what comes next is what does Congress do? Obviously, over in the House, you have Democrats really ready to go. They want to get the fully unredacted report. They want to bring Mueller before before Congress. They want to bring Barr before Congress. They want to ask all these people. And then, you know, one of the interesting things, too, that they they also want the underlying evidence, right? So the report under the special counsel statutes really only requires Mueller to hand over his declination and prosecutorial decisions. So there's all this other information and all this other stuff kind of underlying the investigation and underlying the report that we haven't seen and that Congress is actively trying to get their hands on. That includes the grand jury material. So all those testimonies that one we haven't seen yet because that is among uh, one of the things that was redacted in the current Mueller report, but also, you know, there's all this, there's a wealth of material that didn't even show up in the Mueller report. So Congress is going to actively be trying to get that. And I, you know, you can certainly expect calls for impeachment based on the obstruction case that Mueller kind of laid out in his report. And calls from impeachment from the House. Yeah, yeah, because it starts in the House. And people, and you've already kind of seen leadership 
Democratic leadership, some of them like, strike down the idea of impeachment uh, already. Why? You know, this idea that most of this we already knew, you know, nothing new to see here, understanding, kind of looking forward to 2020 and probably understanding that, you know, as Republicans learned during the Bill Clinton administration, there could be a downside to opening impeachment proceedings against Donald Trump. You know, is it better just to wait and vote them out or, you know, open up impeachment proceedings and potentially see them backfire? And um, and the Senate's, of course, never going to do anything because it's all Republican control. So Exactly. So, so it sort of does the House do this just to sort of go through the motions or would it be better to save their political fire and kind of continue down some of these investigatory lines that they have already opened and see if they can get more rather than, you know, deciding to open impeachment proceedings only for Republicans in the Senate to knock it down and and not move on it. Do you think that the Mueller report plays a role in the 2020 election once there's a Democratic contender that's up against Trump? You know, it's hard to say because as we've sort of touched upon throughout this conversation, there is this idea of the Trump base and, you know, people who, like you said, won't care about a P-tape, won't care about, you know, what other people say. They don't really care about the truth. They care about what Trump says. And so I think there is a very, uh, you know, a decent portion of the electorate that will be completely unfazed by this. The real question is is what the impact will be on the people in the middle, um, you know, whether it's the moderate Republicans or the independents, um, sort of that, you know, that population in the middle that can be swayed. And the question is, do they care about the Mueller report or do they care about other things, whether it's health care, whether it's jobs, whether, you know, it's a child care or you know, other things sort of related to their community. I think that'll be a big question that Democrats have to grapple with going into 2020. Do you think that um, that the uh, the report will end up finally, or the the other 14 investigations and so on, do you think any of them will actually lead back to Donnie Jr. or Jared uh, getting into trouble, which I truly do believe that they deserve? You know, their legal liability in some of these other inquiries that we've seen is pretty, you know, pretty obvious. Obviously, when we're looking at the uh, the investigations into the Trump organization, not only Donald Trump Sr., but Donald Trump Jr., Eric Trump, Ivanka even, those are individuals that would be hurt by that. You know, that's <laughs> the upper echelon of that company. So if some of these other investigations find criminal wrongdoing, certainly um, they could be you know, potentially indicted for for crimes related to that. All right. Well, we should probably wrap up and let you go file your story. Are there <laughs> any any anything that you can uh, that you want to, any parting words? Is this a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it is it just a thing? I guess like yeah, you mentioned that I have a a piece coming out, and it would be great if people could read that. But I also think everybody should read the report themselves. You know, I think right now we're in a situation where this is such a saturated topic, and there'll be so many different takes, some of them good, some of them really bad. And I just think that people should really read the report for themselves and draw their own conclusions about the president of the United States and the people surrounding him. Because this is a really important document and it's long, but I think it's certainly worth people's time to read and draw their own personal conclusions from. 
Well, I will read the whole thing through. I've read the clips, and uh, but I know my opinion ain't changing. <laughs> That's true, but it's still good to be as informed. No, as I know. Possible. I just, <laughs> I just, it's just, it's the whole thing. It's the whole package. It's the, it's the, it's the lies. It's the lies. It's the lies. It's the, it's the fact that you know, this is someone who cares not about his country but only himself, and uh, and it's the disbelief that the system. Uh, is designed to be completely bipartisan and that no one on the Republican side wants justice. And then, and if this was a Democratic president, it would be the other way around. Um, and, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's once again disappointing, but <clears throat> hopefully uh, people will go to the polls in 2020 and, mm-hmm. um, and decide with a vote. But, you know, I said that last time and look what happened. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I another thing too important, sort of as you touched upon, uh, yeah, twenty twenty, right? What you also see in this report is the efforts by the Russians to interfere in our election, and I think it's important, you know, going into into another election to really be aware as to what what happened in twenty sixteen and kind of you know recognize that it is really really bad and we had a presidential campaign that knew that they would benefit from a foreign country interfering in our electoral process and that should be troubling for every american hey russia if you're listening go and hack donald trump's emails <laughs> i didn't hey, do anything illegal are you gonna be crime to, are you gonna get in charge of the crime now that'd be that'd be bad <laughs> Uh, anyway, Abby, thank you so much. I was just kidding, Russia. This probably doesn't even use email. But anyway, um, uh, Abby, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for taking the time to explain all this stuff to us. This is really, really fascinating. And um, I can't wait to read your piece. Of course. Thanks so much for having me, Nick. All right. Thanks to my guest today, Abby Tracy. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. That's me. You can find this on Apple Podcasts, radio.com, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a really nice review while you're there. You know, say something nice, five stars, whatever it is you have to do. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, and I will see you all next week. Clearly need to practice that more.